0: profit I know words, I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back. This is the Pedal Fiction podcast, and I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so called fiction, Johnny Profita. How's everybody doing today? Tuesday, two days left until this quarantine is allegedly over for some of us. That's going to have to do a lot with what I want to talk about today. And uh, for those of you new listeners out there not familiar with the show, generally talk about uh, politics and current events, some economics, always from a libertarian-leaning point of view. I can't think of a more important time for libertarians to be standing by their principles in the face of all of this authoritarian craziness that's been going on. It really is. You know, we've gone through such an extended period of Good times, I guess you could say, even if, you know, you're, you're in my camp where you don't believe that this economy is as or at least was as robust as the Donald Trump's of the world would try to tell you. But if you're my age or younger, you know, under 35, you, you haven't really experienced a lot of economic hardship or just hardship in general historically speaking, compared to the World War II generation or the generation that had to deal with Vietnam. Sure, we've had the longest-running wars in American history. There's no doubt about that, but it's been an all-volunteer army. None of us got drafted, so we always had that going for us. We didn't have to deal with the very high uh, inflation, uh, stagflation that took place in the 70s. And, you know, we've had it pretty good for a long time. And it makes you forget just how many people have this authoritarian bone in their body where you get these Karens of the world that are willing to rat out uh, otherwise law-abiding citizens just for going outside or, or all these people that are married to this narrative that this coronavirus is the most dangerous thing ever. This warrants everybody staying inside until not one more possible case is, is going to affect us or until we have a vaccine, which might not ever happen. It is just amazing to me how many people are have so much emotionally invested in this narrative that the lockdown was justified and that we can't, reopen society until we know for a fact that not no one else will die from this or we have everything under control. In the face of, we're going to go through some numbers today, overwhelming evidence that all of these models we were told by our wise overlords in Washington and all, all of the uh, scientific experts that we all look to with this religious-like, cult-like belief. Of, oh, you have to listen to the, the scientists. We have to listen to science. The science. You know, we all have to abide by what they say as if they have some sort of expertise in in shutting down the world that, <laughs> that they got from majoring in epidemiology or whatever. But there's just so many people that have so much emotionally invested in this. And I don't know. They're just married to this narrative that they will not let society return to normal or at least try to return to some sense of normalcy they don't want anything to do with it and not only they themselves but anybody else that wants to resume their normal life no no you're not allowed to do that and we just had governor pritzker here in uh, the lovely state of illinois he uh, had a lawsuit against him i'll just pull this up right here this is uh Yesterday, this came out that a Southern Illinois judge blocked Governor Pritzker's 30-day extension of his stay-at-home order. And they granted a temporary restraining order, arguing that the governor has overstepped his authority. Now, Pritzker wanted to extend this stay-at-home order, which I think dates back to mid to late March, like March 20th, something around there. And he wants to extend it for another 30 days. And let me just tell you something. Whether or not he is successful in overturning this judge's ruling, because this is uh, Clay County Circuit Court Judge Michael McHaney. And... Pritzker has vowed to appeal this ruling. He's going to fight it with everything he's got to make sure it gets overturned and that everybody in the in Illinois has to stay in their house and to, for another 30 days. You can't go back to work. You can't resume your business as normal. No, no. They have a claim, apparently, over our lives that, that we ourselves do not have. And whether or not this gets overturned... I don't see how it's possible that you're going to contain Chicagoans over the summer, keep them locked in their houses. It's just, it's not going to happen. I've already seen, you know, I talked about this maybe a a week or so ago, that I'm, I'm seeing a lot more people outside. Now, granted, they've done an incredible job of freaking everybody out to the extent where nobody's going outside without a mask on, but... They're still going outside, there's a lot more traffic, people are doing things. And when this weather, it's still pretty shitty here in Chicago. We're talking, you know, 40s, maybe mid-50s, and raining most of the time. Uh, Occasional sunshine, you know, it got up to 60, I think, the other day. But we're still a little ways away. It doesn't get really nice in Chicago until... June, July, August, that's about as good as we can hope for. May is dicey, to say the least. But uh, once this weather gets nice, you're not going to be able to contain people, especially in the face of some of these numbers that we're going to see coming out. Because I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I still do not know, personally know, a single person that's gotten the coronavirus. But what I do, I know several people who have lost their jobs, lost their businesses, uh, had had their hours cut or had to take a a severe pay cut because of this lockdown. And I, I have an article here. One in three Americans have suffered a layoff job loss cut in hours or cut in income due to covid. This is from Gallup. Nearly one in three Americans have experienced a temporary layoff, permanent job loss, reduction in hours, reduction in income. As a result, 18% have experienced more than one of these disruptions. Looking at these events separately, 10% of Americans report that they have been temporarily laid off from work as a result of the coronavirus, and an additional 2% say the situation has caused them to permanently lose their jobs more common than loss of employment are reduction in hours, 15%, and loss of income, 26%. Gallup also finds that these impacts have been more pronounced among those in the lower income brackets. Surprise, surprise. Among those respondents whose annual household income before the pandemic was less than $36,000 annually, 14% uh, report being temporarily laid off have been permanently let go, and 32% have seen loss in income. These data reinforce the recent Gallup poll finding that 25% of employed Americans think that they are likely to be laid off in the next year. Despite this concern, among those respondents who have been laid off... 85% believe it is likely that they will be able to return to their job once the crisis has ended, with 60% saying that it is very likely. Okay, good luck with that. So the point I'm trying to make here is once we dig into the, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you guys today, I apologize for that, but we're getting a lot of statistics that are looking pretty definitive at this point that the danger of the coronavirus has been severely overblown, severely overblown. And none of the things that we were told were going to happen have actually materialized. All of the reasons they've used to justify these quarantines have have fallen short. And when you start to see 33% of Americans suffering because of the, these policies that... The reasons which we were told we had to suffer for them aren't materializing. I think it's going to be very, very hard to contain people. And we're starting to see protests now, protesting these, uh, these lockdowns, and, and counter-protests for that matter. There's a good portion of the American people that believe that th- there is nothing we shouldn't be doing to contain this virus but we're going to dig into these numbers here because we've got numbers out of New York which is the epicenter of all of this, right? They've had the the highest number of cases. They've got the you know, the biggest population. They were the ones that were hit hardest by this, the most deaths. This is the place where the hospitals were supposed to be overrun and so we had to bring in ships that were that were going to temporarily house patients and we needed to get all these ventilators over there and then it turns out that oh they didn't need all those ventilators and so they're actually giving them away now they're sending them to other places and oh by the way it turns out that the ventilator might actually be causing further medical complications. It's another um, issue that people have been having that some of these people might actually be dying because of the ventilator like maybe that wasn't the best uh, best thing to do and a lot of hospitals, including the one my uh, my sister works at, they're not they're not using these ventilators as much anymore. They're they're relying on other alternative uh, methods of, of treating the respiratory issues because the ventilators are, are uh, could be doing more harm than good. And again, just another example of having this top down authoritarian approach where it's my way or the highway is just a horrible way of doing just about everything. I can't think of one uh, way, uh, one aspect of society where it's better, especially when you have a huge country and such differences from state to state, even just within a state, right? Like, so we have Chicago, a very densely populated city, urban But if you go to southern Illinois, it's like being in a completely different country. Why even just within one state, you have a vast variety of lifestyles and the same policy is not is not appropriate for Chicago as it is for, I I don't know, Carbondale, Illinois all right or carbon delay as i used to call it when i was going there for uh, my my that's where i spent my spring breaks in college when everybody else was going off to mexico and and partying and or florida or whatever i was playing baseball in southern illinois and it was usually snowing anyway uh so we we called it carbon delay to make it sound a little more exotic but there's nothing exotic about it it it's just you know It's like farm country down there. You don't need to have the same, anywhere near the same policy that you do in Chicago to contain a virus like this as you would places within the same state, let alone the same country. I mean, just think of the differences between an L.A. or a New York and some place in Montana or Thermopolis, Wyoming a population of 1300 or something like that. I mean, come on. Come on, there are plate there are there are huge areas of the country that have a smaller population than my graduating high school class and yet we're we're follow, we're all following the same federal guidelines. This is ridiculous. But if we look at what's the number is coming out of New York and we have a a pretty good sample size here, okay? The last I checked there were So I I think this article I'm looking at is about four days old now. The last numbers I saw out of New York, they had 10,000 total confirmed deaths, about 10,746. Okay, Now, of those, the ones with confirmed underlying conditions, the deaths of confirmed underlying conditions, 7,893. Of the 10,746 were confirmed underlying conditions. About 2,800 of them were, they weren't sure if there's underlying conditions or not. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, whether like they just didn't test for them or something like that. So about 2,800 of those cases were unknown. The number of deaths of people, and this is people of all ages, from zero to however old you can be to die from coronavirus, the number of people to die who had no underlying conditions, 66, 66 people have died in New York that did not have an underlying condition, regardless of your age, okay? Of those 66 people, let's see, um, only nine of them, were between the ages of zero and 44. Well, no people between zero and 17 have died that didn't have an underlying condition. So 18 to 44, nine people have died in New York. And remember, this is a city of like eight and a half, nine million people, something like that. 66 people. 66 people without underlying conditions have died. So the overwhelming majority of people, regardless of how old you are, Regard, like even if you're in your 70s, if you don't have an underlying condition, this is not a major risk of death. I, I'm sorry, these numbers just do not bear it out. And you have to keep in mind that these death numbers themselves are super questionable. Like the way they are recording these these numbers, everything's a coronavirus death now. Regardless of you could have like stage four lung cancer and instead of dying next week from stage four lung cancer, you die this week and it's coronavirus so who knows how inflated these numbers are to begin with but the fact that even the they're they're certainly over inflating them and we know this because hospitals get at like ridiculous reimbursements for reporting coronavirus deaths I, I think it's about twice what they normally get if you die from coronavirus than anything else and a lot of these I've seen articles where they're just assuming that it was coronavirus like they don't test for it but you had symptoms and remember how vague the symptoms of coronavirus are they could apply to hundreds of, of other ailments but if you you know if you're having trouble breathing you have a fever up, oh, you have symptoms of coronavirus, and then you die. Well, it's probably coronavirus, and that's another thing that I've learned throughout this whole ordeal is just how subjective cause of death is. It really is uh, eye opening for me because you know you kind of you think that the coroner is like okay, you know x x caused this death, and it's really more like okay, it could have been x y or z. And I think X is most likely, so I'm going to say X is the cause of death. Like, there is a lot of subjectivity here. A lot is left to interpretation. And they, they clearly have um, an incentive now through these reimbursements to label everything coronavirus. I think it's like you get 5000 or 13000 reimbursement depending on whether or not it's something else or coronavirus. What are you going to put down? All right? And we have to err on the side of caution, right? Okay, well, even erring on the side of caution, a recent Stanford University antibody study now estimates that the fatality rate if infected is likely 0.1 to 0.2% a risk far lower than previous World Health Organization estimates that were 20 to 30 times higher than that and motivated all of these isolation policies. In New York, the epicenter, I'm reading from the article now, the epicenter of the pandemic with more than one-third of all the U.S. deaths, the rate of death for people 18 to 45 is 0.01%. Or... In other words, 11 out of 100,000 people in the population, okay? On the other hand, people aged 75 and over have a death rate 80 times that. For people under 18 years old, the rate of death is zero per 100,000. Zero. Nobody, okay? Okay? In other words, you're not going to die from this if you're 18 or younger, all right? And if you're um, 45 and under and you're healthy, uh, you're probably not going to die for this either, 0.01%, okay? I mean, these are these are numbers. This is like the equivalent of Elizabeth Warren claiming she's a fucking Indian, Okay. Yeah, th- this is a deadly virus. The same way that Elizabeth Warren is a goddamn uh, Cherokee or whatever she cl- a tribe she claimed to be. Okay, that that this is getting to be that that ridiculous. Okay, for a vast majority of the population. Now, if you are, if you're one of these people that are older and you have you have one of these underlying conditions like diabetes or high blood pressure or something like that. You, you are This is a very real risk for you. But does that mean that the rest of the world doesn't get to go outside because you're old and unhealthy? I mean, I, I'm sorry, but old people do not have a claim on my life or your life. If you're afraid of getting sick... I mean, that goes for everybody, even even younger Karens of the world that want to report everybody that's outside having a walk without a mask on. If you're afraid of getting sick, that's fine. You stay home. You quarantine yourself voluntarily. You don't have to quarantine the rest of us. I, You know, I don't know if you've realized this, but me going to work and you staying home is not going to infect you. You're at home. You're not at work. So what's the big deal here? You can order in. If, if you're afraid of getting sick, get your groceries delivered. You don't get to dictate how other people live their lives. Okay, that's not how this works. Old people asking young people to sacrifice like months of their young lives, it's very selfish. And I don't think a lot of old people are actually doing this unless they're the old people... In Washington, our old wise overlords who are afraid of getting this themselves. You know, this is there is an element of this where most of the things, the problems in society, the elites can isolate themselves from. It's like, oh, that's just going to affect the peasants. Don't worry about, don't worry about that. You know, it's not going to touch us, the aristocracy here. No, no. But this, this virus that they can't see, and it could be anywhere. Oh no! Now they're afraid of this one. They they don't they can't stop this without forcing you to stay in your house. So there's definitely something there. I think that that's freaking out all of these geezers who have been in Washington since the fucking seventies. I mean, my I don't want to get into. That. I'm gonna go off on a whole other tangent about how lack of term limits is just absolutely ridiculous, and Joe Biden's been in the Senate since since uh what like 12 years before I was born and now he's running from anyway I'm getting off track here but the idea that these old people or that any people in general have a, have a claim to a percentage of your life is just wrong I, I'm sorry if, if you're afraid of getting sick if you are concerned that Going outside, going to work, going to the grocery store, going to bars, going to restaurants is a severe threat to your health, then don't do it. But for the rest of us, uh, why can't other people go about their lives and do what they want to do if they're not endangering anybody else? Yeah, in in theory, they could spread this disease around. But that's a risk that you're going to have to take if you go outside in society. Yes, there are viruses. Okay. Okay. But the, the the idea that we have to continue this for another thirty days, or until the end of the summer, or until we have a vaccine, I mean, let, let's. I have more numbers here. You want to go through some more? Of all the fatal cases in New York State, two thirds were patients over the age of seventy. More than ninety five percent were over the age of fifty, and about ninety percent of all fatal cases had an underlying illness. Okay. Of the 6,570 confirmed COVID-19 deaths fully investigated for underlying conditions to date, 6,520, or in other words, 99.2% had an underlying illness. If you do not already have an underlying chronic condition, your chances of dying are small regardless of age. And young adults and children in normal health, have almost no risk at all of any serious illness for COVID-19. And this is an op-ed written by a doctor, Dr. Scott Atlas, MD. This is an op-ed that he wrote, okay? This is where I'm reading uh, these numbers from. So, I mean, there are far more risky things than we do in society, just everyday life that are uh, you have a much better chance of dying from than this disease. It would appear so, at, at least right now. And, you know, we've been quarantined for several months, and none of the things that they've told us to worry about have come to fruition. The hospitals have not been overrun. They have been taxed. There was definitely a, a couple weeks there, in, in late March, early April, where the hospitals were close to capacity, Doctors and nurses were very, very busy, there's no doubt, and they were trying to, in Chicago here, they were offering like $10,000 a week to come be a, a nurse for, in Chicago, and they were working their asses off. There's no doubt about that. But th- this whole thing where we had to quarantine everybody so that the hospitals wouldn't be overrun, well, that doesn't appear to be the case either. In, even your chances of being hospitalized, from the hospital utilization data from New York City, the hotbed of COVID-19, with more than 34,600 hospitalizations to date. For those under 18 years of age, hospitalization from the virus is, again, at 0.01% per 100,000 people. Okay, For 18 to 44, hospitalization is 0.1% per 100,000 people. Even for people ages 65 to 74, only 1.7% were hospitalized. Okay. Of 4,103 confirmed cases, patients with symptoms bad enough to seek medical care, Dr. Leora Horowitz of NYU Medical Center concluded that age is far and away the strongest risk factor for hospitalization. And even the World Health Organization reports noted that 80% of all cases were mild, and more recent studies show far more widespread rate of infection and lower rate of serious illness. Half of all people testing positive for the infection have no symptoms at all. The vast majority of younger, otherwise healthy people did not need significant medical care if they catch the infection. So I I think you guys get the point here. And yeah, maybe we need to let this play out a little longer, but I, I don't see how these numbers are going to get drastically worse than they are right now. Even if there's like another resurgence of this, I can't see a reason why the numbers from New York would get drastically worse if we were to reopen society, especially if you have the the people that are clearly at risk here maintaining the self-quarantine. Like, it's so much easier. And this is why you need to have a more nuanced approach to this sort of thing. It's so much easier for people in their 70s to stay home. I mean, most of them are already retired. Right. That's why people like me and you have been paying into this Ponzi scheme of Social Security so that they can stay home and collect the check. So it's so much easier for them to quarantine themselves and avoid these risky situations than it is for younger people who actually have to, you know, make some money. Right. Get back to their like people's businesses are being destroyed by this. Destroyed for what? Because they may or may not get a disease with a 0.01% chance of killing them? That they probably aren't even going to know that they've had? This is the plan? And if you remember back to when this whole ordeal started, I said on this show that I had a feeling that as long as you were under the age of 45 and relatively healthy, this is, I mean, we had this information to begin with. We just didn't have a very big sample size. So I said that it seemed to me like if you were young and healthy, this was not going to be a big deal. Well, they turned it into a big deal because they forced forced everybody to shut everything down. But if they hadn't done that, I don't know where we'd be today. But I I don't think that young people are the ones overwhelming the hospitals. They're certainly not the ones dying. So I, I don't know why people are insisting on... Continuing this unprecedented quarantine for another thirty days here for another. They want I I think Gavin Newsom over in California wants to do it for like another three months till the end of the summer. You're just people are not going to sit back and have their lives destroyed over something like this. At least I hope they won't, because man, if, if all it takes for the America. These rugged individuals who believe in liberty and and, uh, property rights and self-ownership. Rugged individualism. All it takes is is something that that may or may not even make you sick. Like You won't even know whether or not you've had it most of the time. That's all it takes for you to sacrifice all of your liberty. That would really, really be a sad day in America. And these are the numbers. I mean, these are the numbers from the the biggest problematic area that we have in the country. And these are the numbers they're going to use as justification for the biggest power grab since the Patriot Act, the biggest government overreach we've seen in decades. And I think this will be far worse and far more reaching than the Patriot Act because the regulations that are going to come out of this aren't just going to influence certain sectors of the economy. right? The Patriot Act was all about law enforcement, surveillance, state. You had a lot of uh, banking and investments in there, these anti-money laundering um, provisions of the Patriot Act that have wreaked havoc, no doubt, on the financial sector. And there's so many perverse consequences from that, unintended consequences from the Patriot Act that affect everyday Americans' ability to invest. There there's definitely compliance costs that there are reasons why Joe Sixpack can't get somebody to manage his small savings for him because of the compliance costs related to the Patriot Act. And I've gone into that in other episodes. So I don't want to flesh all that out here. But the regulations that are going to come as a result of this this coronavirus, which, as we just went over, isn't nearly as bad as it was supposed to be. They're going to affect every single business in the country, no matter what you're doing. If you have more than one employee and you interact with customers, I mean, you're fucked. You're totally—restaurants are fucked. Anything in the entertainment business, anything entertainment-related, sporting events— Theater, cinema. I, I mean, what is this all going to look like now? What are they going to try to make us do? How are they going to regulate this? I don't know, but I know that it's going to be bad. And they already have an entertainment tax in most places for these types of things. Now they'll have some sort of COVID-related surcharge to cover all the extra unnecessary regulations. And I, I don't know what life is going to look like going forward, but I just, I am really not looking forward to it. I, I don't know. I, they are going to really take this thing to the nth degree, and they've done such a good job of freaking people out that nobody's even going to, I, I rattled off all those numbers, that that doesn't seem to matter to anybody. Everybody has access to these. Of course, you're getting bombarded by CNN every day with the running death toll of how many people have died. Nobody's talking about, like, this is good news coming out of New York. This is great news. Is anybody covering this? Is anybody talking about it? No, no. It's all like, oh, another 100,000 cases, and we're almost at a million cases, and this is how many people have died. Well, okay. But you want to you wanna drill down on that a little bit and, and maybe... Uh, not freak people out so much and give them some honest information. No, no, we want to keep everybody scared so that they will turn over what's ever left of their liberty to these maniacs in Washington. I mean, they're talking about mandatory vaccines now. (laughs) If you don't think that's going to be coming down the pike, if they ever get a vaccine to this, they might try to make it mandatory. And uh, certificates, you got to have a certificate showing that you've had your vaccine, or they want you to download things on your phone to show your tracking data to make sure you haven't come into contact with people that have had this uh, coronavirus or some other virus. I mean this is once this is here, it's never going away. And if if you believe that you own your body and that you are, are not a slave, you are not a subject to the government you are a free person, then you should believe that you get to decide what gets put in your body and what doesn't and what you download onto your phone and that you can go outside and you can move around without your papers. I mean, but this is where we're at and this is where we're going with this and we really have to be careful here, guys. All of you authoritarian knuckleheads out there that think you're doing your civic duty, ratting people out this is you are turning us into a a police state you are turning us in to the next version of nazi germany and you're too stupid to realize it and one of the worst things i'm seeing come out of this which was already a trend that was in play but censorship of of dissenters right censorship of people who aren't who are going against the, the mainstream narrative on platforms like YouTube and Twitter. You know, it turns out, I saw this the other day, that after, you know, everybody was making fun of Donald Trump for playing around with the idea of using UV light to treat this virus in patients, <laughs> turns out there's actually a company working on that. They were testing UV light, ways of getting UV light into the lungs, like down your throat into the lungs and things like that. And they had a Twitter account and Twitter suspended it. They suspended it just because it makes them look bad, I suppose. It makes all these lefties look stupid after they make fun of Trump for trying to make him look stupid, talking about using UV light to test this inside the body. I mean, this is really getting creepy. And I talked about this whole woke capitalism thing and this cancer culture, cancel culture in previous episodes. But this is starting to get like they've issued uh, YouTube came out and said that they, they will suspend videos that go against the World Health Organization guidelines, if they counter, if you say anything on YouTube that goes against, like this entire episode will will be banned from YouTube because I, I'm going against what the World Health Organization has recommended or has determined is the correct way of thinking. YouTube also censored a, a video of a California doctor who was criticizing the stay-at-home order. They, they took that down. You know, because obviously it went against the the government's narrative. Can't have that. Can't have that. What is happening to this country? What is happening to us? You're all such a bunch of, uh, I don't even know what to call us anymore. It's not good. Whatever the word is, it's not good. I mean, this is really getting disturbing to me. And if we're just going to suspend everybody who makes a, a... uh somebody some lefties suffering from trump derangement syndrome looks stupid i mean what what's the goal here? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to to transmit information reliable information to the American people and to the world or are we trying to propagandize everybody into believing a certain way into thinking certain things, regardless of whether or not those things are true? Are we trying to just not look not make idiots look like idiots? Like I, I'm sorry you guys all made fun of Trump. I'm sorry you took something that he said completely out of context and made it made it into something that he didn't actually say. And now you all look like idiots. <laughs> I mean the the whole mainstream narrative. I, I mentioned this on the last show, but he never told you to drink bleach or to inject yourself with uh, um, disinfectant to fight the coronavirus. He was just spitballing ideas, as dumb as you may think they are, and, you know, I don't know. They, they seem kind of dumb to me. But this UV thing is actually a thing that a company is working on. And Now, we're going to suspend that. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. Uh, don't Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You only listen to what we put out there for you and what the government says is the correct way of thinking about things. I mean, of course. Why shouldn't we listen to the government? They've been right about everything this whole time. I don't even know why I do this podcast, because the government's always right about everything. They never get anything wrong. And their, their approach to everything is always perfect. I mean, take the World Health Organization. They're the ones that get to dictate what YouTube puts on their platform now. I mean, you know that World Health Organization. The ones that came out and said, no human-to-human contact transmission... Uh, transmission of the virus The ones that said that this isn't a pandemic The ones that said Masks won't protect you Don't worry, don't have to wear masks <laughs> I mean, the, the, It's now illegal to disagree with them If you want to have a YouTube video Okay, wh- what is going on here? This is really disturbing to me And it's definitely something that Libertarians are going to have to grapple with because like it or not, that we do have far fewer options in terms of these, these sorts of platforms than we normally would, you know, absent government regulation and, and things like that. But we're going to have to find a way to deal with this. And maybe if you know, they piss off enough people, the viable alternatives for these types of platforms will come up. But right now, you know Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, that that's about it right and and they have congress's ear this is who congress called remember they call zuckerberg in in front of congress and asks him to write the legislation to regulate themselves i mean they're going to make it even harder for new things to arise and when you get these this whole public private government incestuous relationship where you you you're incentivized to to only only perpetuate the government's narrative, it's we're it's getting very Orwellian over here, and it's a very disturbing trend to me. Probably one of the worst things that's coming out of this. One of the more interesting developments has been this whole idea of states' rights, and you know uh, federalism, the merits of federalism. We might start to. Be, I'm actually hearing liberals talk about states rights which is uh something i never thought i would ever hear coming out of a, a lefty's mouth but leave it to uh a pandemic as long as it you know can counter trump then uh they'll be all for it you know there's something hilarious about this whole thing with donald trump they think donald trump has the authority to shut down the entire country right and they were saying that oh he should have done it sooner you know, at first it was he didn't have the authority. Then he wasn't using it fast enough, right? Then he should have done more. He should have shut everything down, right? So they think he's got the authority to shut down the entire country, but for some reason it makes perfect sense to them in their warped minds that he doesn't have the ability to open everything back up. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, how do you square that circle? I mean, I don't think he has the authority to do any of this. And I know I'm right on that. But if I did, if I did think he had the authority to shut everything down, it seems only logical that he would have the authority to open everything back up. But now they're like, no, no, states' rights. Well, the states get to decide what, the, what, the, when they want to open things back up. And then at the same time, you have these states coming out and they want a bailout from the federal government. You got all these states that are in bankruptcy, like Illinois. They want their autonomy to open things back up the way they see fit but they also want the federal government to bail them out i mean you're probably going to have to pick a lane there okay if you're going to get bailed out you know if you're putting your hands out for money you're it's probably going to come with some strings attached that's usually the way things work and that's one of the horrible aspects of the system we have set up like, as far as I'm concerned, if we're going to have taxation, the states should be the ones to collect the taxes from their citizens, and then the states should give that money, remit that money to the federal government the way they see fit. Why people in states pay money directly to the federal government and then the states have to basically beg for it back, it's it's just such a bad way of... Again, the most inefficient way of doing anything... Are, is anybody surprised that this is the way government operates? And I think it was Erwin Schiff, the great heroic tax protester, that came up with the analogy that it's like having a blood transfusion from your left arm to your right arm, but you spill half the blood on the floor. You give all this money to the federal government. There's all this bureaucratic overhead and bleed that loses tons of that money and then the states have to beg for it back and they get a little bit of it back but it comes with all these strings attached why aren't the states collecting it themselves and then giving it to the federal government on their terms remember it was the states that created the federal government not the other way around and these states were supposed to be these laboratories of democracy and i think a lot of people are starting to see the merits of that And maybe the downfall of this having one big government that rules over everything. I mean, what if you don't like what that government does? (laughs) Then where are you going to go? Right? So it's much easier to move states. It's much easier to relocate to a different state than it is to a different country. But um, I guess that brings me, that'll be my transition to the next article I have for today in the stack. And this is Donald Trump asking why American taxpayers should bail out poorly run Democratic states. <laughs> I mean, if it were up to me, we wouldn't be bailing out any states whatsoever, regardless of whether or not they're democratically run or Republican controlled. I don't see a difference there, but it is pretty uh, funny that all of these bankrupt states are Democratic states. I mean, imagine that. Who would have thought that Democratic policies would bankrupt the states? Uh, But pouring gasoline on the fire started by Mitch McConnell last week when Senate Majority Leader said there would be no taxpayer bailouts for U.S. states and that he is open to allowing states to declare bankruptcy rather than sending governors more federal money to deal with their own ballooning deficits. Moments ago, President Trump tweeted a question that is sure to incite the states and media's ire. Namely, why should taxpayers bail out mostly... Poorly run, in all cases, Democrat-run states. Why should the people and taxpayers of America be bailing out poorly run states like Illinois, as example, and cities, in all cases, Democrat-run and managed, when most of the other states are not looking for bailout help? I'm open to discussing anything but just asking. That's Donald Trump's tweet. It comes days after Nancy Pelosi insisted Friday that Congress's next economic package would provide billions of financial relief for uh reeling state and local governments, foreshadowing a sharp partisan fight ahead in lawmakers' continuing response to the coronavirus pandemic. So this is another robbing of the American people. And there's no—I mean, there is no constitutional authority for any of this, of course— but this definitely violates the uh, general welfare clause if you're stealing money from people in some states and giving it to uh, people in other states. I mean, you're taking from one portion of the population and you're for the specific benefit of another portion of the population. That, that's a violation of the general welfare clause, you know that clause that I wish we could do away with. It's one of those clauses that they've perverted to mean just about whatever they need to justify government intrusion in our lives, but, you know, a total violation of it, their document that they swore an oath to uphold. While Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are kind of right about this, what they're missing is that this is not a partisan issue. It's not about whether or not these are Democrat states, and I'm a Republican, so we're not going to bail them out. No, no, no states should be getting a bailout from the federal government. It creates a tremendous amount of moral hazard and it's going to end up costing us a bloody fortune, far more than it would if we just let them go bankrupt. You see, these states are trying to make it as if that they're they're bankrupt because of the coronavirus, right? They're going to use this as the excuse to cover up decades and decades of profligacy and mismanagement. These states they got a lot of balls on them. They, they're completely bankrupt. Illinois is completely bankrupt, and they give themselves these ridiculous pensions, and then they write into their constitutions that they can't be touched, that we can't change these pensions. Uh, no, no, they're they're untouchable. After they've negotiated with themselves, they left the people that actually have to foot the bill for these pensions completely out of the negotiations. They give themselves these lavish hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in retirement for a lot of these bureaucrats and you know, police and fire teachers. Go back and listen to my episode on the Chicago Teachers Union for a little taste of, wh- of how ridiculous these pensions have gotten. And they write this into the Constitution that they can't be touched. And then when they go bankrupt, now they have to steal from the rest of the country to bail them out. Are they ever? Is the government ever going to take a haircut or is it just everybody else? Everybody else in the private sector has to go without so that everybody in the government can maintain their pensions and and maintain their lavish lifestyles. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. And they're all going to need ban- they're all going to need bailouts. Illinois, California, New York, Detroit was already bailed out once. Uh, Michigan's going to need it. All right. And the the moral hazard that's created here is tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. And that's why I say this is just the tip of the iceberg. If we bailing out states like Illinois, the one I live in, New York, Cuomo wants to bail out. Right. This is the whole back and forth was between him and Mitch McConnell, I think, originally California bailing them out could be is the dumbest thing that the federal government can do. Because what that says to all the other states who maybe acted responsibly, who funded their pensions fully, who didn't spend like drunken sailors, who didn't give themselves these lavish uh, pensions that can ever be touched, well, what it says to them is stop acting responsibly because where's the upside for them? Why, why are they acting responsibly if when uh, all the states that act irresponsibly— get uh get bailed out by the states that acted responsibly. Like the, the, the states that do the right thing are being taxed to pay off the debts of the states that do the wrong thing. So what, what state is going to look at this situation and conclude, oh, you know, yeah, we really shouldn't pay ourselves uh, these outlandish pensions, and we, we shouldn't uh, let our pensions be underfunded, and we, we, we're not going to make all these uh, lavish campaign promises because that would be irresponsible, and, and who's going to pay for it? No, no, it's going to be the exact opposite. The, their pensions are going to be 0% funded. Why would they fund them if they know that the federal government is just going to run the printing press to bail them out? they're going to be making all kinds of ridiculous campaign promises and borrow a bunch of money, spend everything like a drunken sailor and then expect somebody else to, to bail them out. Except that we have 50 States and what state is going to bear the burden of all this. Once they see the writing on the wall, they're all going to be incentivized to act like California and Illinois and New York and Michigan and, all these other states that, I mean, I, I have the receipts, okay? Illinois hasn't been clo- 20% funded of some of our pensions. I mean, it's ridiculous, okay? I, I get it on my property tax bill. Every time they hit me up for, you know, a few thousand dollars every six months, they're telling me how how shitty a job they're doing funding these pensions, and how I just need to give them more money. Eventually, that they'll get enough money to cover all of their spending habits. Yeah, you know, bullshit. And now they're going to the federal government. You see, the only thing that the states don't have a printing press, the federal government does. But if the federal government is going to bail out all every state every time they go into uh, they face bankruptcy, well, that's in effect giving all the states. Access to that printing press. They're going to go gangbusters. I mean, this is how irresponsible they've been when they actually thought they would have to pay off this debt and when they actually thought they would have to fund all this stuff through taxation. If they know that they just have to hit the federal government up for some free money, uh, they're going to go gangbusters. And this debt is going to be astronomical. So this is a horrible idea. You need to let these states go bankrupt, just like you need to let all these companies go bankrupt that acted irresponsibly, just like you need to let all the people that acted irresponsibly go bankrupt. There have to be consequences for this reckless behavior. And believe me, the consequences, if we face them now, instead of going down the road of trying to bail everybody out, will be far less expensive in the long run. These are This is a disaster, and I talked about how the, the next wave of bankruptcies, in addition to all these companies that have been forced to shut down, are going to be the states that depend on the revenue from people going to work. Uh, now they're all going to be bankrupt, so they're going to need to be bailed out by the federal government. But where does the federal government get their money? Of course, it's from you and me. So this is um, the tip of the iceberg as far as this disaster goes. But maybe, maybe some people will start to see the downfalls of having one gigantic government and maybe we could get back to a return to federalism, which anything that moves us closer to liberty and farther from tyranny, I would be on board with. Maybe that's the silver lining here, guys, that we could take advantage of this, this crisis to promote the merits of federalism, promote a smaller, more localized government instead of these gigantic governments, these one-world governments or one country, one authority rules over 320 million people. I would take anything that moves us closer to liberty at this point and farther away from this authoritarian tyranny, this tyrannical, gigantic government leviathan that seems all but inevitable now. I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to leave it there, guys, on on such a high note. Do me a favor. Make sure you download and subscribe and share the show. Follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. And if you haven't already, go to PedalingFictionPodcast.com. You can sign up for the weekly newsletter there, and you can become a supporting listener of the show. That will help us expand our reach, and maybe we can reach enough people to avoid this coming authoritarian disaster if i can get my if i can get this message out to more people but i'm going to need your help so you can do that at peddlingfictionpodcast.com i don't keep any of that money every dollar that you donate goes right back into this show creating content and expanding my reach and if you can do all that for me i will be back later this week with a brand new episode for you until then you know the drill pedaling, and that's so-called fix.